Welcome to Hippie Witch, magic for a new age. I'm your host, Joanna DeVoe, and this is a happy, hippie place where magic with a K meets the law of attraction. Hi, thanks for joining me for episode 223 of Hippie Witch, magic for a new age. My name is Joanna DeVoe, and I am the kooky creatrix behind Kick-Ass Witch, Putting the K in Magic, and Hippie Witch, the show you are listening to right now. I also have a free, free, totally free ebook by that name, Hippie Witch, Peace, Love, and all that good shit, and you can pick up a copy of that at www.joannadevoe.com or Back on the description page for this episode, back on Blog Talk Radio, where you will also find a link to thegoddessdiaries.org. And that is because Dawn Champagne of thegoddessdiaries.org is back on the show today. You might remember Dawn from some previous episodes, but she is all about all things goddessy. So I thought in this month of April in which we are talking about God, the universe, source energy, whatever you want to call that mysterious force. I would be remiss not to have at least one episode dedicated to the goddess, therefore Dawn. And uh, I want to say too, to clarify something that we talked about during the interview, before you listen to the interview, that uh, astrotheology is... It's an interest of mine. And every time Easter comes around and the Passover, I get very excited about uh, the astro-theological roots of modern-day religion. But having said that, there is a very frustrating experience that I've had many times when I go to look into it, and it's very much focused on masculine energy, which makes sense because our religions are as well, and astrotheology, much of it is about kind of debunking religion in a way, uh, or, or just maybe reframing the way you see religion to be like, no, it's not the son of God, it's the son of God, S-U-N, you know, and those explanations often exclude any talk of a goddess or a mother. And uh, so when I say during the interview that if you just want to like have a basic snapshot of what astrology or astro theology is, uh, you want to think about father, son, and mother earth in a way. That is my own personal take. And I did not clarify that. That's just the way I've come to see it. It can give you quite the headache if you Google astrotheology and then goddess or mother because one, you're going to have to dig and dig and dig and dig to find any kind of information that you can sink your teeth in. And two, it's confusing because people get very, you know, uh, they have differing opinions. So some people uh, think like the Virgin Mary, for example, is Virgo, Virgo, the Virgin uh, you have representations of Venus as being the sky goddess, and uh, it gets very complicated. That's why I just like to think of it in a very clean, basic way. I don't think Mother Earth gets enough credit, really. 
Um, but that's a whole other, maybe we'll do another astrotheology show at some point. What we really focus on in this interview is astrology, which is Dawn's special interest and passion. She recently created her own kind of astrology that she is calling God Astrology. And what she loves to do is go into people's natal charts and look for the goddess and pull that energy out as a talking point and a point of inspiration. And uh, so I think that's really fun and interesting. Dawn is one of my best friends, so I always love having her on the show. I hope you love having her here too. And without any further ado, here she is, Dawn Champagne. Hi, welcome back. Dawn Champagne of the Goddess Diaries. Hello, I'm glad to be here. Yeah, I'm 100% certain that you are my most frequent guest here now. You're like my official uh, sidekick here on Hippie Witch. <laughs> that was and, a cool in, thing. <laughs> yeah, and in life. I'm happy to be your sidekick. We're like mutual sidekicks in each other's lives, it seems. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Especially around... All things astrology, although we have very different experiences of it. And I thought it'd be so fun to have you on today to talk about that because um, I'm talking about God all month and you're all about the goddess. So um, I thought it'd be really exciting to talk about astro theology, which I've been into for years and how that plays or just how the goddess comes into play with this idea of astrotheology, which is often taught from a Christian perspective. Although goddess stuff fits in, it's, it's still not primary in the sources I've seen that talk about astrotheology. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I thought, I'm sorry. Go, anyway, yes, that is... Yes. <laughs> Have you found any so well let's define astrotheology is basically I mean I I see it in two different ways. It's astrotheology is basically the religion of the sky and a lot and uh, w the way that I first encountered it is that it's the origin of of our religions here on earth. That pretty much all of them can be traced back to this. And that's why so many of them have mythologies in common is, is does that feel true to you are we on the same page with that absolutely yeah 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 um and i yeah i mean you're probably more well versed in the whole concept of astro theology than i am um like you can you can just rattle it off the top of your head but uh what i know to be true about astrology is that it does have a strong resonance with uh, mythology and it is um in my opinion I believe that when we are looking at a natal chart, for instance, um, I believe that's the story of you that's been written in the stars, you know, and um, how it all intertwines together with that astro theology. Uh, yeah, it's a very personal take on your own divinity. And I know that there's a lot... Um, a lot more that you can add to that as far as the actual definition of astrotheology. It, it is a thing. <laughs> it is actually a thing. But um, yeah, that absolutely feels true to me. That's a really exciting perspective, the way you framed that, because I believe that we co-create our reality, you know, magic, law of attraction, and all of that. And when you look at your natal chart as 
kind of your own personal mythology. You used the word divinity. I believe divinity flows through all things and all things are within the divine. You start, it really starts to link up with this idea of co-creating your reality and writing your own story, creating your own myth by the choices that you make in your life. Yeah, exactly. And it's, that's just it. I mean, even though we can look at it as this is your story written in the stars, you, by virtue of being a human being, (laughs) you still have the power of free will, you know? So even though you can look to the stars for guidance or to, uh, you know, for the deeper understanding of your, your spiritual origins or whatever it is that you are turning to astrology for, um, there's always that element of free will still involved. So you are, in essence, still writing your story, even though that moment has been captured, that snapshot, the moment of your birth has been captured. Um, you still... You know, we still live in that that timeline, that continuum, and we have that free will. And so we are. So, how do you look at the co and the co-creating? If if you're if you have free will, and then there's this mysterious co, this this God force, or just this X factor that's out of your control to some degree, is that what you feel? These astrological transits are mapping, and your natal chart is maybe I'm putting words in your mouth, but maybe a kind of like <laughs> template that we're starting with. Kind of. I mean, yeah, the the mysterious co is, um, well, gosh, where do we even start with that? I don't know. That's why it's fun to talk about. <laughs> that's, that's deep, actually. That's a really deep question. But yeah, I think that, you know, the energies that are uh, coming through in your chart, the transits, um, uh, where do you even start with that? How about fate versus destiny? Like, I mean, I feel like a lot of people get very hung up on the idea of astrology is bullshit because we have free will. And so like how, how does astrology come to a, into play, especially when you get deeply involved? Like I know you really enjoy the daily of like what's going on up in the cosmos and following it. And um, mm-hmm. so how do you separate out like fate from destiny and personal choice and like you're fucked because this is happening and oh my god duck for cover that is also a very good question <laughs> i don't know how to well what's that. your personal take it doesn't have to be the end all be all yeah well my personal take is this um i can say that from my personal experience uh i when i have taken a look at previous experiences in my lifetime and compared the experience to what was happening in my chart at the time, which transits were taking place at the time, um, I gained a deeper understanding on so many different levels of, it seemed like something bigger than myself was, uh, transpiring and growing and, you know, that I was, yes, I still had this free will, but there was this, um, I, perhaps maybe that mysterious code that you're, you're asking about. Um, but for whatever it was, it gave me peace and it gave me some understanding that there are certain forces in the universe that do kind of take us away, if you will. I don't want to say that because that, you know, I, I, I guess, 
we still have that free will. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know what? I will agree with you. I think astrology is almost more interesting in retrospect than it is looking forward because looking forward, it's so open to interpretation and every astrologer has a different interpretation. But when you learn the basics and you can look at your own chart and go back to like, what happened during that hideous breakup of 2012, like, you know, or that terrible Christmas and you look it's very bizarre how not only do some kind of answers come up for you, but it has a healing effect. It brings up a lot of compassion, or at least it does for me when I go back and I go, oh, right, okay. Like you can sort of see, maybe that's your soul. Maybe the the natal chart is like a map of your soul, and it's this like ego that we need to function in 3D reality that that thinks it's in control, you know, but it's more like we do have free will, but I think the closer we connect to our soul and get those two parts of ourselves in alignment, the more we start to have that cohesive experience and those really cool synchronicities and things start to make sense. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I believe that too. I believe that, um, it is a blueprint of the soul. It's like your cellular DNA. <laughs> cellular, I love that. <laughs> um, but yeah, that yeah, totally, totally resonates. Totally resonates. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think I, I want to kind of go back to astrotheology. Not that I I don't want to like explore that in too much depth, except for to bring it around to the goddess stuff. Because when I think about just the basics of astrotheology in general it's usually like the sun is masculine and the earth is feminine this is like the most basic easy way to understand it with the sun essentially impregnating the earth with its light giving life and that works really nicely with my personal ideas of like channeling spirit from above or the crown chakra and soul or the kundalini force from below, like the root chakra and mother earth and all of that. Like I can really tap into that. But then when you start looking at astrology, the history of it, and even the currentness of it, there's a real lack of goddesses except for in these like minor roles. Like there's, uh, you know, the masculine planet's, and the sun are considered superior in some schools of thought, whereas the feminine planets like the moon and Venus are seen as inferior, which I don't really understand. And these asteroids get to be goddesses, and they don't have the same gravity and weight to them. So what is your take on that, Miss Goddastrology? Well... Okay, here's my take on that. I think that, um, well, patriarchy is a social construct, first of all, that everything that's within the patriarchy is designed to perpetuate that patriarchy. That includes our systems, our institutions, our, you know, religious whatever, and beliefs as well. And so what you're talking about with the masculine, you know, the earth, or sorry, the sun being masculine, um, in traditional astrology, and that it has more gravity or more weight than the feminine archetypes, um, I think I, I kind of view that as a patriarchal, a modern Western patriarchal um, paradigm that's been slapped onto ast- astrology in general. Um, and yeah, and, and 
here's the other thing. Because we have been, as a society, for so long operating out of this patriarchal paradigm, um, when the asteroids were brought into astrology, and this is a fairly modern construct as well, or addition yeah, to like astrology late, as well. Late 1800s or something, I feel like. Yes. Okay. Well, Ceres was was the first of the large asteroids to be um, discovered in the late 1800s, yes, and, and included in astrology. Um, and then uh, uh, Juno, sorry, then uh, Athena and then... Um, Vesta and Juno. And then, but anyway, yeah, they don't have as much gravity or as much weight as the other more masculine archetypes. But that's an interesting thing, though, too, because if you think about how our society is now on this um, precipice of change in terms of going from that patriarchal paradigm to a more matriarchal vision, like astrology is a very matriarchal um, belief, I think, you know, it's, it's very ancient number one, but it's something that survived, I think probably because of the science associated with it as well. But, um, it's an interesting correlation to see how the feminine energies have been, um, suppressed over time and now they are coming back. So the, the asteroids kind of represent this resurgence of goddess energy, a little bit of infusion back into um, these these more patriarchal paradigms, if you will. And I think that going forward from here, there's there's been a lot of emphasis put on the asteroids and the goddess energies lately. And we don't even have to stop there. We can also, I, uh, I'm looking at my books right here. I have... Um, Oh, I don't have it with me. It's the mythological astrology. Oh, anyway, um, there's there's a lot of, and I know this drives you crazy because you're you're like, um, give it to me straight. I want to know the history. I want to know this. I want to know that. But there's a lot of experimental thoughts out there regarding the feminine aspects of astrology, such as including Earth in uh, an astrology take, you know, like a reading and um, looking at the earth and what the earth's placement is and how it relates to all of the other energies. And so I think slowly we're slowly reincorporating that goddess energy back into not only astrology, but the general collective consciousness as well. And it's kind of an exciting time to be alive and to be into astrology. So yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that we literally live on the planet earth and we like live and die by her. Like we need her to survive, but the emphasis is, uh, so focused on these masculine energies in religions specifically. But I think religion is a reflection. Actually, I think, uh, it's at the root of society really. Um, your your religion, your mythological beliefs, really, they not only inform the rest of the society, but it's a great way to kind of influence and control society that way. So mm-hmm. it's interesting. I don't know 
if we've made as much progress as the Goddessy New Agey community has been insisting for decades that we are, especially after the last uh, election. I feel mm-hmm. a little bit cynical. Um, so <laughs> I'm glad that I'm friends with you because you can be like, no, but it is. Um, <laughs> and you've been formulating like your own brand of astrology that you've been calling goddess astrology and i think there's a place for that right now that um i think there's you know they say find a need and fill it i think that that's something that i i I don't see a lot of i see astrologers that i love talking about goddess stuff but to emphasize it is really interesting Yeah. I mean, it's important how we tell our stories, you know, and I think that the, uh, the feminine voice has been missing for a very long time. And it's really exciting to sit with a client and go through a chart and, you know, start to put all these little feminine pieces together. It's like, um, I, I just did a reading this last weekend where, uh, to her, it felt like it filled in a lot of gaps. And I like that. I like being able to point out these little things. Like it's, it's, it's really exciting to facilitate that wholeness process or that, that healing holding process. And I think that astrology, um, again, you know, goes back to it's, this is our story. This is your story written in the stars. And here's, you know, this part and there's this part and oh yeah, there's this whole feminine thing that we forgot about. <laughs> Let's look at that. Uh, it's exciting. Mm-hmm. It's really exciting. So yeah, I think my uh, one of the very first steps for me in kind of sort of starting to make friends with the idea of a goddess. Um, because once I rejected religion and God, I was like, why do I need a goddess if I don't have a God? Like, mm-hmm. why? Like, that makes no sense. You know, <laughs> if I think God is a man-made construct, why would I go adopt, you know, another one? Uh, but then I really got into, like, the feminist take on it. You know, like Merlin Stone, when God was a woman. And this idea um, that I've been talking a lot about lately about uh, spiritual abuse and how when you want to really go in and assault and disrupt and then take over and control a culture, you get them at the root. You attack their, their spirituality and you do that by taking away their, their goddess basically, or their God. And that gets my backup. That gets me very defensive. And that makes me think like, Oh no, we need a goddess. If we're going to be talking about a God, we need to be talking about a goddess too. And men need that just as much as women. Like this is not about women. This is about, all of us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and it's not going to change either. I mean, if it, it would just be a pendulum swing to the other side, really, if we, if we didn't include our men in this, but having said that, um, I feel like it's, it's important to, uh, for me, it's important for me to work with women. I, I haven't worked with a lot of men, <laughs> honestly, but, um, I think it's important that women uh, remember their stories, whether that's their natal stories or the older mythology that is, you know, that exists out there. Uh, you know, Merlin Stone, when God was a woman, that was a that was a eye opening book for a, a lot of people. Like, oh my gosh, this uh, <laughs> this was taken from us, and and we can look to our current 
society and see where those gaps are, where, where we need to go back and heal those puncture wounds. If, you know, for want of a better metaphor, it just seems so right for that patriarchal metaphor, but anyway, Mm -hmm. there's not, there is not, I listened to a very long podcast once about this guy that he was trying to to identify female astrologers in history. And it was just a long, winding, for me, boring listen, because it didn't go anywhere. I was like waiting for answers. <laughs> and, and he couldn't really find any. The closest he could get was Hypatia, who I love. Um, and some people, not everybody, some people attribute her to creating the astrolabe. And other people think it was her father, but whatever. It's mm-hmm. She's the closest I can think of back in history, but... Um, when you look at what we've done, like with literature, for example, a lot of great, famous, beautiful authors that were women, they had to use male pen names just to get published. Or you look now even at, uh, oh, the name just like flew right out of my head. Uh, what is the movie that just came out that was so huge? Um, Hidden Figures. And then you have like these women that were hidden in the scientific community, really. And, like, once Hidden Figures came out, there were all these people posting stories online of other female scientists that didn't get their due. So, of course, it stands to reason that back in the day, history, his story, her story, was rewritten as history as the patriarchy came along. So we don't have documentation of these female astrologies, astrologers. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I've, I've heard too, that it was, uh, the murder of Hypatia is what sent us into the dark ages. Yeah. So it's interesting, um, to think that, you know, what women would be willing to slap a man's name on her work in order just to have that voice, um, present or survive, you know? Um, but it feels like we're, we're shifting a little bit, even though, like you said, this last election, and this, you know, the, the sexism is present. It's glaringly present yeah. for real. And um, not just in our culture. I mean, there are places all around the world where women are not allowed to read or, or go to school. Right. Um, which is a very, I mean, that's real. That's happening right now. You know, it's not happening here in America, but it's happening currently. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and too, I mean, it's, uh, I guess kind of a testament to the women who would use the men's name in order to survive or to have their voice be heard at all um, just goes to show that we do need to work with these feminine energies even right now, you know, like, like working with the asteroids and the goddess energies, the goddess aspects of, of astrology, um, wherever we can give her her voice back is, uh, it's, it's just going to illuminate us. It's only going to help us, you know? Um, and where there's a woman who, or a girl who is not allowed the privilege of, of using her, her God goddess given voice. Uh, we need to, we need to eradicate that. We need to be louder over here where we can. So, Mm. yeah, I think it's got something to, to do with healing, the mother wound that is in 
This is why I was saying I think it's relevant to both men and women because I think there's a mother wound that happens in our culture that when women grow up and when men grow up, it really shapes how we perceive a woman, you know, with a lot of ambition, for example, or um, a woman who won't be put in her place. And it affects these little girls who are growing up into being women. And it, and it starts to, like, sandpaper off, off the edges so you're more and more pleasing and more and more pleasing, which, again, to me is, like, if we created God in our image, it's important to create goddess in our image as well. And that can extend mm -hmm. out into astrology if you're into astrology, um, which I know a lot of people listening are. Yeah. Well, I mean, that... <laughs> Let's not stop there either. I mean, we're, we're in a new, we're shifting into a new, where anything is possible kind of paradigm. Um, and Uranus, you know, Uranus is the, uh, and Mercury both are transgender archetypes. They have no gender. So it's interesting that the masculine um, attributes would have Give, been given so much weight when there are so many more <laughs> um, ways to look at who we are as human beings. So, yeah, transgender too. I mean, like it's interesting that that's coming forward in our society now, and you can trace that like through hermetics and like all these alchemical texts, and also like you were saying with Mercury and. I like to say Uranus because I grew up saying Uranus and I feel like it's funny <laughs> saying Uranus. Uranus. It's like Uran Uran Uranus or anus. Like I feel so uh, conflicted. Which do I choose? Which do I well, choose? <laughs> I have to say Uranus because I have teenagers. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Okay. All right. Uranus. I'll have to practice that. Um, but it's interesting that these transgender issues are coming forward and and these people are demanding to be respected and recognized and we i mean there are what i think are transgender people in the bible like these people have been here all along they've just been hidden figures so, to make that reference again they've they've been hiding in plain sight all along so um yeah there is some interesting change in the air. I definitely feel it. It's just, I guess, frustrating when you want the change to move at a pace that it might not even happen in your lifetime, you know, or in this lifetime. Yeah, that's, that's just it too. I mean, in order for change to be sustainable, I think it needs to be slow. I mean, speaking of Uranus, <laughs> Uranus, you know, is that archetype of sudden shocking changes. And I think that we're experiencing a, a big jolt. Well, we are experiencing a big jolt of that energy right now, the way that um, it's been squaring Pluto and transformation happening on a grand scale. But, you know, really in anyone's life, in the, you know, drooling back down to an individual's life, sustainable change is slow change. And you don't just shock yourself into a new reality and expect it to last. It's like when you're trying to break a bad habit, you know, you, you don't just wake up one. Well, some of us do, but, you know, typically you don't just wake up one day and quit that habit. It takes, it takes time. It takes understanding and it takes um, effort. 
yes. to sustain it. That's so. my whole political philosophy, Don. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, okay, so let's try to bring this back around to goddess because I want to focus on God, the God within or, or without, mm-hmm. however people choose to see it because I know not everybody sees God or goddess the way that I do. So I'm trying to, to get a different voice here going in that direction, um, focused on that theme of talking about God. And when I say God, I mean source. I mean mm-hmm. divine, creative, creatrix, however you want to look at it. Um, do you believe that the goddess is an entity, a sovereign entity that functions regardless of you? Or do you think it is an aspect of yourself? Yes. <laughs> Both? Yes. No, I I mean, I think that that God goddess is something incomprehensible. First of all, I believe that um, I believe source energy is um, it is an energy. It's it is present. It's omnipresent, omnipotent. Um, But I also believe that you know, it's, it's, it's also an archetype. It's also an entity. It's also a, you know, uh, something that is present within us, which is why, um, we can use astrology, which is something external to us. Uh, we can, we can, we can channel that into the parts within our psyche and connect to it and channel that energy. And all of us can do this. Anybody can do this. Um, but that's what I believe. I believe that it is an om- omnipresent, omnipotent, um, both energy, deity, etc., etc. So, are you saying that energy is feminine or masculine or both? Or like, why are we calling it a goddess? It, again, both. Um, again, incomprehensible. <laughs> again, uh, something that is beyond our explanation, but I, I call deity. I resonate with the goddess because I want to connect to that feminine aspect. I feel personally that I've, you know, I've, I've been drenched in this, um, patriarchal paradigm that has been unhealthy for me personally. And I think for the world, (laughs) Um, but, but it's a choice that I make. It's a choice for me to tap into that energy to rebalance things. I mean, like, here's the thing. Okay. So I feel like in a lot of ways that I straddle both worlds of, of that masculine, um, because I have a corporate day job, I work in corporate finance and then, you know, my, my, what feeds my soul is very, um, goddess oriented. And soon I will be working more in, you know, into that more feminine aspect. But if I don't balance the two, um, it just makes me crazy. (laughs) I don't know. I feel like I just lost, lost my train of thought there. Sorry. The neighbor's dog is barking. I hear him. I hear him. Settle down, Buster. Sorry. Well, you know, I think it that really factors into a philosophy I ascribe to, which is um, 
it, it's something Joseph Campbell said about the only meaning life has is the meaning you give it. I think you can extend that to God because God is so unknowable. It's so hard for us to wrap our human minds around it, which is why I think instead of saying God created man in his image, I think man created God in his image, which mm-hmm. makes it important for woman and man to create God, goddess in woman's image so that everybody has an image of God that is reflective of themselves. And Mm -hmm. way back in the day, we had gods and goddesses and animals and like the tree Lord and, you know, like all these, it was all of nature represented in all of this mythology and very much uh, this as above, so below dynamic that we talk about was was much much more richly and dynamically expressed in the mythologies of the past. When you strip all of that away and you have one like boss man, judgmental God ruling everything, it's it's uh, you really disempower people because mm. first of all, half the population doesn't have a God that looks like them. <laughs> so right there, there's a problem, you know? And more that's why I'm talking that. about the mother wound because even for men... If their mothers and their daughters and their sisters aren't represented in the goddess, it gives them a false sense of superiority, which, which sets up a whole abuse dynamic or disrespect dynamic. And um, that's why I think the goddess is important for everybody in that perspective of us creating these images that help us tap into the divine within. Okay, rant over. Whew, that was a lot. <laughs> Well, yeah, it just goes back to that whole, uh, patriarchy is, you know, it's, 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 um, it perpetuates itself. Everything within the patriarchal society is designed to perpetuate that patriarchy. It's designed to inherently to, uh, make it's, you know, people that live within it to feel somehow, um, shameful or less than, or that they're broken in some way and that they're in need of a savior, you know? So they have to go out and, and find that quote unquote God savior. And in the meantime, here we are all living, you know, with, with our mothers as our first encounter with the goddess. And we're not, we don't have any voice for that. We don't have any language for how to explain that relationship between ourselves and the goddess when really it's right here in front of us with that relationship with our mothers. And yet patriarchy does not honor that relationship um, in a way that is empowering. You know, it just, it, it it's honored in so much as it perpetuates the par- patriarchal paradigm. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so yeah, absolutely. Um, and your mother can end you. <laughs> your mother, you like literally come out of her body uh, in the very beginning and you're dependent on her to feed you and care for you. It really is your first experience of God in that way. It's like your life source. Like without your mother, you will die. I know in today's um, society, there are men raising babies by themselves. But I just mean like from a biological perspective, we all came from a woman's womb. And uh, back in the day before hospitals and before the, the systems that we have in place now to facilitate, let's say, like a gay marriage where two men want to have a baby. Um, back in the day, it was your mama and your mama's breast and you came out of her vagina. And, you know, like that was your first experience of God in a way. Goddess. I keep wanting to say God yeah. because it's so yeah. entrenched in, in 
who I am. It's that program that I grew up on. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, well, I think that also too, it's interesting because you keep mentioning the mother wound and the mother wound is something that is, it's a generational, um, wounding, you know, it's, it's something that's passed on unconsciously from generation to generation. And it, it's interesting to me because it, 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 um, comes up in certain circles often, um, uh, social work circles and, and such where, um, you know, we talk about, can we heal these generational wounds? Uh, when I worked for the Department of Health and Welfare in Family and Children's Services, we were starting a program that was infant psychology. And it was all about um, uh, mothers, uh, you know, getting to them prenatally, getting to the babies prenatally so that, you know, mothers um, would bond with their children and, and we would prevent the um, failure to thrive with infants. And, you know, who knew it was a thing that, that newborns would need a therapist, right? But it is, it's, it's a thing. And I think that it speaks to the kind of culture that we live in because we don't have, we don't recognize that goddess aspect. Um, So yeah. So astrology coming back around to astrology. That was going to be my next question. Astrology is one great way that we can reincorporate that language into our everyday lives. Astrology is like, I don't know about you, but it's like the it girl right now. (laughs) And I feel like everybody is interested I, I say everybody is a very general generalization, but um, but it's a great way to reintroduce that language back into our our you know consciousness. If we start recognizing the goddess aspects in astrology, what better way than to say, "Hey, look, this is your story, and this is how you are impacted by this goddess energy. This is where it shows up in your awareness. This is where it resides within your psyche, and this is how you can connect to it and you know bring it out into the open and use these strategies for um, you know creating a better life for yourself and for everybody else because when you make your life better, everybody benefits, right? Mm-hmm. So anyway, yeah, I love to house. Uh, going back to what we were talking about, about, you know, God is unknowable. It's inexplicable. It's beyond us, which is why we have these different lenses to like, look at that energy through. It's, it's awesome that we have a variety of goddesses to explore. So I thought it'd be fun if we could look at like Athena, Lilith, Vesta, Juno, like just a few goddesses, sky goddesses that, um, and how like that as above so below connection happens like how would Juno for example express herself in your life like how would you feel that if you had Juno and such and such Mm -hmm. placement in your natal chart absolutely well Juno first of all is um she represents the places that we compromise for the sake of our relationships Juno or Hera you know same same goddess different culture um was the the wife the the queen wife who um, what was most important to her was her relationship with her husband, and um, she would do whatever it took in order to maintain that relationship. So, how Juno would show up in your own psyche or in your own natal chart, for instance, is 
it would it, it the energy it would represent how you compromise for the sake of your relationships especially for the sake of your own uh, romantic relationships and an interesting thing i know again i'm going to going to tell you something that might make your ears burn <laughs> or itch at, at the very least but um I am I am experimenting with the concept of assigning Juno to the seventh house. <laughs> seventh house is traditionally ruled by Venus, who um, she gets two houses in astrology. She gets two houses and two signs. She gets the second house in Taurus, and she gets the seventh house and Libra. Right um, in the sign of Taurus, she's all about the self worth. She's all about self, uh, pleasure. She's, you know, very sensual, uh, feminine, you know, personal resources, that kind of thing. But in Libra, the seventh house, she deals with, um, partnerships and again, femininity, balance and harmony and beauty. But I've been experimenting with assigning Juno to the seventh house. And the reason why is because it is about those romantic partnerships and this is just something that I do for God astrology. And it doesn't always come through in that way. But the, but the more I read Juno as owning the seventh house, um, it's making a lot of sense for both myself and clients. And I'll, and I'll read both um, Venus and Juno for those just to do a side-by-side -side comparison. But those are some interesting ways that Juno can come through. And again, it, it also goes back to the weight that we give to the quote unquote asteroid goddesses. Um, I think that by experimenting with Juno owning that seventh house, it's kind of shifting, uh, the scales a little bit, not to, I guess that's an appropriate metaphor for the seventh house, mm -hmm. yes. <laughs> but, um, you know, shifting the weight a little bit and, and kind of just creeping in more and more, uh, making her more visible in that sense. Um, but yeah, so that's how Juno shows up. How about uh, Athena? Personal favorite of mine. Uh, Pallas Athena. She is our strategy. She's all about wisdom. Um, how we, uh, strategize to, well, in any, in any aspect of life, how, how we strategize to get ahead, how we strategize to get what we want, you know, and where she shows up in your chart, which house she resides in is really going to, um, give her that unique flavor. So for instance, if, uh, you have a first house, Pallas Athena, it's going to be a little bit different than um, a fourth house Pallas Athena. So uh, Athena in the first house uh, really represents the strategies that you would, um, you would, uh, you know, your survival instinct, your survival strategies. Um, not so much as, as like the, the survival in the second house sense where we, um, you know, we use our resources to survive, but this is like a self-awareness thing, self-awareness strategies, self-awareness, um, the wisdom of self and, uh, really coming into, um, the knowledge that we are, you know, I am that I am, um, presence, um, uh, Athena in the second house then would be like a, how do I strategize to, um, maintain my resources so that I can survive? You know, the, the, 
money, the daily money. How do I make money? How do I, um, you know, what, what do I value about my presence here and, and how can I, um, use it in my strategy to get ahead? Uh, let's, let's tell people that have no idea about any of this, that there are 12 houses and they move in like, well, I think there's an argument about this, but they move in like a counterclockwise fashion. It's like looking at a clock kind of (laughs) in a way. So the houses represent a different aspect of your life. Right. 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 So when you're looking at a natal chart, you're, you're looking at this big circle and on the left hand side, you would see your ascendant line. And that is the, the cusp or the demarcation of that first house. And then we journey through the, the 12 houses going down and then back around in counterclockwise fashion. Right. Around and around and around a circle of life. And looking at it on paper, it's just flat, of course. But as you know, everything is a spiral. It's an ongoing spiral. (laughs) Yeah. So um, let's try to squeeze some more goddesses in here because I think that's really fun. I know a lot of people are super into Lilith. And um, you're going to get very fancy with me here because you like to to break Lilith down into different categories. But just as uh, a general basic, like starter yeah. starter Lilith, like what is our starter Lilith energy? <laughs> well, she's an interesting one in astrology because she has so many different um, areas that she shows up. But if you're looking at like your basic, if you go to astro.com, for instance, and you create a basic chart and you choose the Lilith um aspect from the drop down box, what you're going to get is the black moon Lilith and black moon Lilith in a woman's chart represents, um, her most basic primal, uh, sensuality, sexuality, almost an animalistic sexuality like that. The way that she responds before she even thinks about the situation that's happened is in regards to her sexuality. It's who she's attracted to. Um, or, and how she, um, oh gosh, it's, it's just a very, uh, raw, very, um, primal energy. Mm-hmm. And in a man's chart, it's said to represent the kind of woman that he is instinctually drawn to. Um, but the story of Lilith is really fascinating because it's a Hebrew story. Uh, well, Lilith comes from the Bible pre, uh, biblical, story, I guess. Um, that's not the word that I was looking for, but there's an ancient Hebrew mythology that says that um, Adam and Eve were not the first couple in the Garden of Eden, but Lilith and Adam were, and they were created equally. And Lilith was actually cast out of the Garden of Eden because she refused to submit to Adam. And uh, when she called upon God for his assistance to say, hey, look, you created us equally. Why am I, why do I have to submit to him? Um, God took Adam's side. (laughs) And some stories say that she was cast out and then she was demonized. But uh, other tales say that she left on her own accord and she went out by the, the Red Lake where she lived very happily in the wilderness by herself. And she had lots and lots of babies and, and loved living out in the wilderness. She's a very instinctual primal goddess energy. But when, um, you know, looking at the other side of that tale where she was demonized, um, 
she became the scapegoat for uh, to explain a lot of different um, things, you know, uh, supernatural things that happened within the tribe that they couldn't explain otherwise. For instance, like nocturnal emissions. They said that uh, when a man had nocturnal emissions, it was Lilith, the succubus, who was there to steal his sperm. Um, We're or, talking or, about wet dreams here. She's getting fit. right. <laughs> nocturnal <laughs> emissions. <laughs> The, the the technical term, right? Yeah, wet dreams and <laughs> babies. It, sudden infant death syndrome. They they said, or I, I guess as a way to explain Sid's death, they um, used Lilith to say that she she took the baby. And there's a lot of superstition around even today within the Jewish culture where they will have um, certain oh what is it called? I can't even think the trinkets um, sigils to ward off Lilith, the, the demon, the daemon. And so that, that still lives with us today. But in, uh, in, in our modern day, Lilith is making a comeback in terms of feminine empowerment. Um, of course, there was the Lilith Fair back in the 1990s. But Lilith is, is um, she's reclaiming strong and powerful woman. And how she shows up in your chart then... Um, she shows you, I think I already talked mostly about this, but one thing that I mentioned, didn't mention was that she shows you where you want to be wild and free. Yeah. I think of her as like the witch archetype. And I think a lot of witches gravitate toward her because witches are also blamed for nocturnal emissions or sudden infant, infant death syndrome and all these things like witches have had that put on them as well throughout history. And I, I think there's a lot of uh, intersection there between those two different mm. mythologies. And uh, yeah, I mean, Lilith is fascinating. You can like, I sometimes think of her as like the, the feminine counterpart to Pluto, that there's a lot of like transmutation energy in both of them. And um, okay. you can just get all crazy talking about Lilith. That's why I was like, let's just be really basic here because it's, that is like 10 podcasts in a row exactly. and you still won't scratch the surface. <laughs> exactly. I was going to say, you could create an entire podcast based on Lilith. You Lilith. could. <laughs> the Lilith Chronicles. I That's like that. Great. Yeah. yeah. Somebody make that, okay? Um, <laughs> and we're running out of time, but I, I actually, I have, I have an affection for Vesta or Hestia because I'm such a... Um, I love my house in a mm -hmm. probably crazy way. Like it's like a person to me. I feel a deep connection between my home and my soul and my body. It's like an extension of me that is probably maybe unhealthy. I don't know. <laughs> so when I think of Vesta or Hestia, like I get, I, I just kind of want to go, Oh, I really like that energy. Although I haven't ex explored it a lot astrologically. So what about Vesta? Let's talk about her. Vesta is interesting because, um, she has very ancient stories that go back beyond even the Roman, uh, Vestal virgins. Um, but Vesta represents the thing that you are most devoted to. Um, she represents that, that inner flame. Um, there's a lot of different associations across different cultures. You know, you got the goddess breed and then you mentioned Hestia, but just to give an idea, um, that sacred flame is the key word for Vesta. So what you're most devoted to and what you are in sacred service to. Mm. 
Hmm, that's interesting because I always think of it as being related to your home, like keeping the uh-huh. heart uh-huh. fires yes. burning. Is that not a thing? It's, that is, and yes, it does. It does carry down that Hestia, especially okay. does carry down that same theme because um, uh, the sacred service, being that um, she was devoted to caring for the hearth and home and making sure that everyone was nourished and fed within the home so that they could go out and do their sacred service each and every day. And then they would return back to the home, to that sacred flame around the fireplace, you know, and, and restore themselves. That was that Vesta energy. I like her so much. (laughs) I do. I like her. I'm just like sitting here grinning. Listen to you say that. Well, the other thing, the ancient, ancient tale is that it, it, she goes back even before that, the Vestal Virgins, um, even before that, she was the sacred temple priestess. Uh, fascinating stuff. It goes, it goes way deep into that feminine sexual healing. So Vesta is a very ancient goddess and probably, oh gosh, she's very ancient. Um, but yeah, anyway. There's, there's, again, there's another podcast idea for you right there. <laughs> I found myself, just, to, just to give you an idea of how deep and how far back it goes, I found myself one night lost in YouTube videos of, of um, ancient tribal braids um, and, and specifically the Vestal Virgin hairstyles. They're, they exist on YouTube. So check it out. <laughs> oh God, I maybe shouldn't. I'm such a braid person too. Like I almost always have a braid on my head in some fashion or other. <laughs> so maybe I shouldn't go down that uh, YouTube wormhole. <laughs> but anyway, okay. So how she shows up in your chart is, um, you know, again, it's going to be flavored by the different houses. So where, where, she, which house she shows up shows you which area of your life that you, um, in, you know, instinctually are most devoted to mm. and are in sacred service to. So cool. Okay. So a lot of these energies are represented cosmically by asteroids or mm-hmm. even, um, this kind of drives me crazy, but theoretical, you know, planets or moons that we don't we right. have any evidence they're there, but in theory they should be there. So when I think, I know there's a lot of different schools of thought, but you know, some people think, well, planets have like their own kind of gravitational force. They emit each sphere emits a certain tone, like a sound that mm-hmm. we can pick up on with our recording devices and stuff. So, um, this is a question that I have, uh, not trying to piss you off, but I'm thinking like, you know, like Jupiter, Saturn, Mars, these are big honking planets. They would seem to have a bigger gravitational pull than some little asteroid like way out there or some like theoretical moon that we think might exist. So is that does that come into play when you're thinking about astrology or are you thinking about it more in a metaphorical way? Um, well, it doesn't piss me off. Okay. <laughs> I mean, well, I mean, I wasn't trying to well, offend you because you're the god astrology lady. You know. <laughs> well, I think of it as, it, you know, the goddess is the void. The goddess is um, mysterious. Thing. The whole damn thing, the whole blackness. Oh, you know, she she is the void and that dark, deep, dark, mysterious space. I love to use the word liminal a lot. I love operating in that liminal space because I feel like I'm in that goddessy space, you know. Um, But but no, I don't I don't think so. 
to answer your question, I, I don't think that, um, there is, uh, well, I guess what we need to do actually, I think just bringing the language out into the open is what matters. And so I guess metaphorically, I guess to answer your question, that is yes. Metaphorically is just fine. It's a good starting point at the very least. We're dealing with archetypes. We're dealing with the deep psyche. We're dealing with that liminal space, that void, you know? Um, but if we, if we have language for it, that's where we need to start. Absolutely. Yes. And then also do you, I mean, this is a whole other, I need to end and I'm starting again, but you know, you think like, well, why does Jupiter have to be a man? That's like, those are old patriarchal myths. Like who knew who Jupiter was before that, you know? Um, so, uh, yeah, like we had this whole thing recently where I was like, well, you know, Taurus is a, is the bull, it's the man. And you're like, no, Taurus is female. It's the sacred cow. And I was like, it is. <laughs> so it's a matter of perspective and how, how you choose to perceive that energy. Exactly. Well, it's just like when you showed me that podcast about Saturn being a woman, it totally makes sense because Saturn is all about manifesting and the matrix, the great mother from which all creation comes forth, right? That's Saturn to me. Um, Saturn means to, or Saturn is all about manifesting, which means to make real. And so there's another spin on the gender dynamics of our planetary archetypes. <laughs> and so much to think about. So much to think about. God, this is interesting. Okay, which is a good thing because you're talking about this stuff. You've been making a lot of videos lately on all things astrology with an emphasis on God astrology. So uh, before I let you go, can, can we tell people how to find you if they, they missed previous podcasts or don't know who you are yet? Absolutely. Um, TheGoddessDiaries.org is my blog, my online business, and um, I'm on Twitter. I've been I've not been as active on Facebook for a lot of reasons we won't get into, but um, Twitter seems to be the place to be. I love it, and you can find me there. My handle is TheGoddessDiaries. Yeah, Twitter. Twitter for the win, people. I'm all about it. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. And check out her videos too. She's yeah. Dawn Champagne on YouTube. And if you want a reading, you can check out my blog, thegoddessdiaries.org. Cool. Thank so. you for doing this again. Thank you for having me. I am always, always happy to be on your podcast. Yeah. It's, so. it's fun. It's like having my buddy here with me. <laughs> All right. Bye everybody. Much love to you. Peace. Bye.